Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from Ford Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bolt, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. Okay, I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... But we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickheads, you could say. It's just, it's, they're just, there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to the show. Joining us this week to, well, discuss what's coming up at Tasmania and probably a bunch more from Speed Cafe, it's Stefan Bartholomeus. Good evening, Stefan. G'day, Craig. Thanks for having me. And from, well, Race Facts and any other publication that'll have him, Tony Whitlock. Hi there. It's been a week of Ambrose Watch. Stefan, it's been quite interesting, as you said to me off air. It could be a show just in in and of itself. Yeah, and it certainly uh, is a topic that's going to boil along for quite some time. Um, We still haven't actually had... Marcus sort of coming out and telling his full side of the story in public yet, um, but even once he does, there's still going to be an ongoing question of just sort of when when he's going to come back, because all they've said at the moment is that he's definitely doing the Enduro Cup, um, and that Scott Pye is definitely doing Tasmania. Um, personally, I I struggle to see that he will be back before Sandown, but um, they're not ruling anything out at this point until they've sort of seen how how their progress is with uh, with Scotty in the car. So it's certainly, as people have said, it's a courageous decision by Marcus to, to step himself out of it um, and certainly uh, has created a lot of talk. Certainly, Tony. Interesting that it's called courageous. There's been a lot of complaints about the fact that, or a lot of comments, I should say, about the fact that, well, how can he get any more driving experience if he's not driving the car due to the limited nature of testing and so on and so forth. But an interesting point is co-drivers do get to enjoy a fair bit of time at Fridays of events and quite possibly he could get more time on a Friday testing than he could necessarily by being involved in race crashes which see him get no seat time. Yeah. Look, I think um, one of the things that probably we should put into play here is um, the old adage about how much of the game is played between the years. Um, one aspect of, of this whole Ambrose thing that uh, I don't know if I've no one else written it or I haven't read it or I don't know what, but one aspect of this is that he spent nearly twice as long racing in America as he did racing in V8 supercars the first time. He was five years here and then he went for nine years to America. He's got more race starts in America than he had in V8s in Australia. Well, I think he had that after the first year. Yeah, but 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 in terms of, you know, the way... What I'm hearing is, and this is engineer sort of chat I'm hearing, is that he's still driving like a NASCAR. He can't change his driving style, which means it's it's a head game. It's him having to change the way he's thinking about it all, which is maybe he didn't go to Central Australia, but maybe he went to an antique shop. But anyway, I just think that there is a fascinating piece in that, that, you know, it was only five years he was in the V8s here. Made a very big impact very quickly. I mean, he had a third, a first, a first, and a, and a, uh, and a second 
in the championship in those four years of it. Um, and it just doesn't surprise me that he's having a really hard time adjusting back. I've spoken to a couple of people today who drive in, in NASCAR and also V8s, and uh, it's all under braking. That's where the whole problem is. Um, is how you drive the car, how you get it around the corner, how you have to, you know, stop a NASCAR because you, then you don't have brakes. Where suddenly now he does have brakes, and these things are, you know, amazingly good. And it's a little surprise that guys have come from overseas and have done much better with the new car than with the old car. It's um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think to to build on on Tony's point there, it's like when we say. Um, it's about how he, how he drives the car. I think we saw in Adelaide when he was in the top ten in the in qualifying, and and really should have been in the top ten in the race if they'd not uh, made a bit of a mistake on the fuel strategy. We saw that if the car is right, um, he can drive it like it's meant to be driven, and he can be competitive. But he's lacking that feel to be able to know what to do to the car at the start of the weekend to get it right, so he can drive it like that and. With the way the race formats are and the tyre allocations, he just genuinely didn't feel that um, he could he could do the job required of him in in a single car team. Because I think we can't understate how important that is, or really how damaging that's been for him to be on his own without a teammate. And when he committed to this deal, I don't think he knew it was going to be that way. So that's been a pretty important factor. However, he does have all the data from FPR and you'll notice that he came to that conclusion after the Grand Prix where his lap times, just going by the data that we have access to, his lap times went from being 1.2 seconds slower or thereabouts than Mark Winterbottom and Chas Mostert to 6.2 seconds slower by the third race of the weekend. He would have been looking at the data from, on certainly on the weekend and then on the Monday, because he is a he's a bit of an animal with data, he would have been looking at that data and going, hang on a second, these guys are out the front, yes they had clear traffic, but I don't think when I'm looking at sectors, when I'm looking at steering, braking and other data that he's got available to him from those cars, he'd be going, I don't, I need to, you know, I need to work on these aspects and I can't do that on the racetrack in a race. And one big thing about NASCAR, uh, Stefan, is guys will go out and do one lap just focusing on a corner. And then the next lap, that corner again, pit the car, make a change, and then go to the next corner. And they'll work around the track one corner at a time. They only have four when uh, you're talking NASCAR. There's a whole hell of a lot more on a road course. Yeah, but also every time they do that, they get to pretty much go out on a new sticky set of tyres that they know exactly what it's going to do. Where here you spend uh, most of your practice sessions picking through, picking tyres out of the bin and trying to work out what's the tyre, what's the setup, what's the driver, what's the track condition. So there's so many variables. And yeah, he, he just wants to take a variable out of it, which is himself. And a, a lot of the sort of criticism has been, as I think you said earlier, Craig, that. Um, how uh, how is he going to get more experience in the cars if he's not in them? And I think that's a little bit where the initial statement that came out was misleading because I don't believe he he's trying to to say that he is going to get more experience in the cars by not being in them. He's he's trying to put the team ahead of where he is. So um, it'll hurt his progress personally, absolutely for sure. But he 
he's hoping that the team can basically shortcut a whole world of hurt for him in the meantime. Yeah, and obviously, uh, Tony, relationship between driver and engineer and being in that simpatico area, they haven't hit that on the head yet, have they? No, you know, Mark Finney is certainly a capable engineer, um, but, you know, it's a fairly tough load to try and bring back a bloke who's, you know... (laughs) His expectations would be that he'd be coming back, certainly in the top 15. You know, he he would not have thought that he, you know, at the bottom end, and he'd be, you know, counting the bloke's names that he was going to be in front of, and suddenly they're in front of him. So I think he's having a, a, a hard time, and I think that's a large part of his game that he's having to rework. And, and importantly, he had said multiple times, I'm not coming back to race V8 supercars. In fact, at the... First Bristol race last year, there were a group of uh, a group of carters from Grenfell that spent the weekend with him, and he, at that point, said, "I'm not coming back. When I come back, I'm coming back retired, and I will not be racing Vert Supercars." Obviously, the Penske and all these things happened after that Bristol meeting, and uh, he he got the idea that well, if it's Penske, if it's this, if it's this. These are the sort of things that would make it interesting for me. But he has spent a good deal of uh, his time in America saying, I'm not coming back to race V8 supercars. So it's been a short change in his mindset. And that is also something that perhaps made the expectations higher too, Tony. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why I think that he's, he's had this had to do a sudden rethink and face himself in the mirror and go, Jesus, what happened to you? You know, um, yeah, it's... Uh... Well, the sudden realisation of it all is uh, a stark reality, you know. There is a race meeting on this weekend, and we'll talk about that when we return on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Stefan Bartholomew joining me, Craig Ravel. And, well, the Tassie round of the V8 Supercar Championship, the first round ever exclusively on pay television and on free-to-air television, well, live exclusively on pay television and on free-to-air television and on pay television, the World Cup final is going to be shown on Channel 9 and Fox Sports. This is the World Cup final of the event that we couldn't run a test day against because it was bad to have a clash and evidently Foxtel didn't want the clash. But we can have the first ever pay television V8 supercar race up against the World Cup final, Stefan. Are you seeing a problem with my logic? Well, it might sound un-Australian of me to say, but I can't believe that the World Cup's still going. Like... <laughs> How many times do they need to bowl that ball and before they can decide who's best? Like, uh, yeah, like um, it was a big a big issue leading into the Bathurst 12-hour for the best part of a year. Um, well, six months. Between that and the test. So, uh, well, yeah, June through February, whatever you want to make that. But, um, 
yeah, it is what it is. I'm sure uh, Fox Sports with their uh, six or 600 sports channels or whatever are always going to have a clash with something. So uh, it just is what it is. Who's going to be the winner and loser of this situation, Tony? I, I look, I'd say that this World Cup, Cricket World Cup, has been a very silent event because it's all been played on pay TV and with only less than 30% uh, penetration in this country, you know, one match every week with Australia playing somebody, it means that most of the match has been, you know, most of it has gone through without anyone really noticing it. The majority of the Australian public hasn't really seen much of this World Cup. But I feel that because this is a, a final, that, that V8s will lose out and that, um, I mean, the figures can, can always uh, come through from Fox, can't they? I mean, I don't even know in mm-hmm. what format they come, but, you know, you have to think that the V8s will uh, be the, suffer from it and that World Cup will, uh, you know, considering also the fact that there's nothing for, what, five weeks is there after uh, Simmons is over? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it just seems remarkably some bad bloody ideas are being played out in that V8 world of deciding on when events should happen and, you know, just some awful sort of thinking. So is there only losers? Oh, I would think so. Stefan? Well, I think um, the TV ratings for a Fox only V8 event at Simmons Plains are not going to be all that spectacular regardless of what what else is on. So maybe it can, uh, if you look at it really positively, it can be a convenient excuse for uh, yeah. slightly poor numbers on the V8. It, it is, though, the biggest sporting event in Tasmania. And quite frankly, it's a very enjoyable race meeting to go to. I, I don't know if you two share that uh, optimism of mine. And, or, or... I, I, I agree. And look, the wonderful thing... And I'll only equate the Tasmanians um, to the New Zealanders because they have the same and show the same enthusiasm. They'll stand there on a freezing bloody day with the wind blowing in their face and the rain on their backs and keep on watching it. They don't go away because, it, you know, the weather's crap. They, they really enjoy their motorsport and they appreciate the fact that they've come to show what the, you know, what's on. Mm. And I think for that reason it's a terrific event to go to. And, of course, the build-up's been good, uh, Stefan. The Longford Revival last weekend drew good numbers. Yeah, well, uh, I don't mean to drag it back to topic one of this program, but uh, the build-up's obviously been uh, very, very difficult for the event with the Super Homecoming turning into the not-so-Super, not-so-Homecoming. So, super, not so, homecoming. so yeah. that'll, um, that'll hurt it quite a bit. And, and from memory, the, the record crowd there still stands from 05 when it was Marcus's last... Last one, just after he'd announced at the Grand Prix that he was uh, he was going stateside. So, um, yeah, they had to uh, scramble a bit on the old uh, promo and put Craig Lowndes' face on it instead. Yeah. Uh, so it hasn't been ideal for them. But as, as Tony was saying, I, I think it is a great event. Um, it's supported well by the locals and um, there's good spectator points. It's a track with, with heritage and character and people say it's too short, but... You know, there's some NASCAR tracks that are pretty damn short and they're pretty iconic too, so uh, it always produces something entertaining. Yeah, and uh, one thing that interests me is you're saying that this event is really a spectator event. Saturday's race has been almost cut in half. Last year, the Saturday races, 42 laps per race. This year, 25 laps per race. 
They're worth 75 points each, which is the same as Clipsal's 125-kilometre races. Uh, I find it to be a curious stat and one of the problems with the points. Tony? Yeah, look, it may seem a problem. I mean, you know, I happen to grossly dislike these stupid sprint races, and I always will because I just think that these cars really shouldn't race for that distance. It's not paying proper respect to the, the, the effort that put in to build these cars and to build a series is to run these, these little sprint races. They, they should be being held. That's for Aussie race cars to go out and do those sort of race lengths. Um, it just doesn't make any sense to me, and I agree with you that the, the disparity between points for different events, for different uh, race lengths, it, it, it's just illogical. Mm, Stefan, Sunday's race is 200 kilometres, and it pays the same as the 250 at Clipsal. Yeah, I think you can you can overanalyze maybe that too much. Like you don't want to be just purely awarding a point per kilometer achieved or something like that. Why not? So, well, Why not? Well, because it, it takes the same amount of effort to put the car on the track and beat everyone else, regardless of how long the race is. Like, but um, if I have to go 250 k's in the in the heat of Clipsal, surely I've achieved more than 200 k's in the sleet and snow of Tassie. But if if the power steering hose blows on the warm-up lap and you get no points or you've sort of, you're in the same position, whether it was going to be a 100-lap race or a one-lap race. So, yeah, I think there's, there's bigger issues in the sport than this, to be honest. But um, I guess on the formats, I do kind of like the fact that there's a bit of a mix. There's the sprints on the Saturday and there's a bit more strategy on the Sunday. Like, um, it gives a bit of something for everyone. And, yeah, they've trimmed the sprint races back this year, but... I think that's related directly to trimming the tyres back and um, and it going from the soft to the hard tyre. Like, if they're going to insist on using the hard, then I don't think we want to see an extra 40k on each race on, on Saturday because I don't think there'll be much entertainment in it. But don't we want to see the tyres drop over the cliff, Tony? Yes, certainly. Um... Uh, you know. but, but I don't think I don't think they will if you've got the hard compound. Sorry to yeah. cut you off there. Oh, sorry, that I was that point. was my that was my point. That if you're running the sauce, then for sure run it all the way to 100k. But they've they've brought in the hard for trying to penny pinch every dollar they can with with tyre budget, which um, is a whole other conversation. So that's why I sort of agree with this. Mm. All right, Tony, you want to finish your point? No, uh, not really. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I just. I stand by my adage, you don't get out of bed for less than 200 k's, you know. All right. Well, we'll let you uh, have a bit of a break. Think about bed as we take a break here on Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bear Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Stefan Bartholomew from Speed Cafe and Tony Whitlock from Race Facts. Uh, joining me, Craig Ravel. And look, uh, the Simmons Plains race, we should talk about the race because it's an interesting position we're going to uh, see in Tasmania. 
Red Bull, HRT certainly got the runs on the board after the uh, first round of the championship. The non-point scoring round at the Australian Grand Prix, Stefan, it was certainly the Pepsi Max crew that took the uh, chocolates. But we go back to points paying again, and that's when a lot more teams get serious. What sort of litmus test is Tassie going to provide, considering that obviously the the um, the pro-drive cars were being worked on on a track that was what seems to be most favourable to their configuration, a high aero, high downforce racetrack? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how the pecking order sort of shakes out um, at Simmons Plains for that very reason, that it's a very different type of track to... Um, to Albert Park, and it's the first time we've actually raced on a on a permanent circuit since uh, last November. So uh, there's plenty of uh, plenty of development work has been done since then. And um, yeah, we saw we saw Red Bull were just ridiculously fast there last year. Um, they uh, they were pretty frightening in a straight line, but everyone again has sort of caught up since then. So um, yeah, Red Bull, Pepsi. And uh, HRT should be should be right there. Um, James Courtney's been very competitive at both Adelaide and Albert Park, and you wouldn't expect that to, that to change because he's been quite good at Simmons in the last couple of years. He's picked up a few podiums too. So, with those cars in the mix, McLaughlin will be there, and there's you know ten or so others that on the day. Um, it's always so close in qualifying at Simmons that we could see a very different result on Saturday to Sunday. So uh, it's going to be very interesting. Where are the Nissans going to sit here, Tony? They've made some changes to aero. We've got two long drag strips followed by some challenging corners. Yeah, well, certainly Rick showed uh, consistently on a fast track that uh, he was able to maintain his place in the 10 over the Grand Prix. Um, the other three cars sort of came and went in various Adelaide and Albert Park. You have to think that uh, Nissan are getting in a stronger position than they had in years past. So uh, with the uh, new engine developments they've got coming, the new heads, uh, they've got to be thinking that they're very close to the time when they, they will consistently be you know, in the top ten, not just fluking it occasionally. So that's got to be a chance. I, I read interestingly somewhere that um, I think uh, Mark Dutton talked about how that they hadn't tried any new bits on their cars at Albert Park and they were out there racing. From what I understand, they may not have had new bits on, but I think they were going off on some pretty different tangents in setups, you know, to try. And that would have been, I would suggest, you know, getting ready for uh, Simmons and beyond. And that, you know, clearly uh, they made progress with Jamie getting up there and Craig seemed to flounder in the middle somewhere most of the time. But, um, you know, it, it, it is going to be an interesting round because it is a simple little track. You've got to get every bit of it right because if you don't, you're going to be off by, you know, three or four tenths and suddenly you're back outside the 20. Well, Stefan, are we going to see um, a big improvement from the Volvos because they have had a disappointing start to the year? Yeah, it has been very tough for them. Um, I certainly would expect Scott McLaughlin to be up the front in the first couple of rows on on pace. Like um, that's pretty much where he was in Adelaide and Albert Park. They just had a litany of 
of issues, including some alternator and power steering stuff that they'd had 12 months ago when everyone sort of expected them to have those teething problems. So, um, yeah, if, if they've got all that sorted, um, then, yeah, I'd, I'd expect Scott to be right up there. Um, David Wall's obviously coming back from his... Uh, from his burn injury that uh, he suffered in Adelaide that was a lot worse than uh, certainly he, he'd he initially thought. So he's, uh, I was just talking to him this afternoon, actually, and he assures me he's still got all 10 toes on board. So he's pretty uh, pretty keen to get back going again. But it's it's hard to say where anyone's going to be because like we talk about, you're talking to Tony about the Nissans just before, um, but we can't forget last year that they, Rick Kelly was fourth on Sunday in Adelaide. Um, Caruso got pole at Albert Park. And then the top Nissan was a lap down on Sunday at Simmons Plain. So it's it's very circuit dependent and I still don't see this circuit suiting the Nissan's package as it is now, but um, it's so close it's very hard to say anything definitively. I know, Tony, you didn't share the uh, optimism of Volvo that Stefan has. No. Um, you know, it, it, a recurrence of problems that, you know, teething problems the first year just seems bizarre and extreme and uh, uh, you know Gary historically of course has been one that um, has a team that you know doesn't seem to be able to roll from meeting to meeting and keep and maintain that pace from track to track um, you know uh, certainly they've been uh, highly uh, uh, shown up having a driver like Scotty there that you know took a, a, an obviously fast car but fragile um, and, and did amazing things with it. Mm. Obviously, we're going to go off to Simmons Plains and, and see what these cars can do on a short circuit. There's places for Simmons Plains, and there is a talk uh, that after the break I'd like to get your thoughts on about maybe having to change the way V8 Supercars events are structured. We'll be back on Inside Supercars with more, and particularly that topic after this. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. For Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas, there actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. And uh, Tony, it, there has been a lot of talk about the structure of the V8 supercar year and, in, in fact, to the point where we have this month's break coming up, partly because of a football match clashing and other reasons, of course, uh, are all mixed in there. But there has been some talk that Simmons, Winton and a few other permanent circuits are not long for this championship. Well, it would be really sad to see that happen. And I think mainly because that there are an awful lot of people who religiously each year um, pencil in the, or maybe even borrow in that uh, weekend that the track is going to be at their, their, their local. And they get on down to it and enjoy it and are very faithful and buy up heaps of merchandise. And, and they're a large part of where that series has come from, from you know, the 1970s, 80s, 90s. 
sort of thing that these people have long been followers of it. So it would be a sad thing indeed if, if those sort of tracks all went off the schedule. Um, you know, I, you know, there's there's obviously lots of work going on developing new racetracks that are going to be several years away from uh, uh, becoming part of any series, let alone being launched as a, a new venue. Um, where it is now is that it just seems to me that, um, you know, I mean, obviously that whole fiasco of the test day against the 12-hour, I mean, motorsport as a whole has to have a better shape rather than having silly things like that happen. So that, you know, V8 Supercars has got to realise it's part of a whole population. It's not something in isolation that can go go off and do things. I mean, surely V8 Supercars know that, you know, they are behind the list when money's being handed out by major corporations in the country. They go, yes, we go with the AGP. If the AGP was no longer part of it, maybe V8s would benefit from getting a bit more, but I think a lot more motorsport would benefit from getting that money and there'd be a lot more discussion about looking at different sort of venues then. Stefan, certainly one of the thoughts is that we might go to some tracks twice and other tracks never. Uh, yeah, but if you're going to start doing that, then um, and you cut out some of the permanent circuits, I don't, I don't think you'll be going to Townsville on the Gold Coast twice in a year. So um, I certainly would like to think there's still a place for uh, those permanent tracks, and uh, if there's not, it does put it. It does put it at the whim of, of governments pulling uh, support for for street events, and then it's all very well to say that the permanent tracks will still be there, hopefully. Um, but you've still got to actually build an event over over several years to uh, have it at its strongest. So, uh, yeah, I certainly uh, think it would be a dark day if uh, any of the tracks you mentioned uh, were to be uh, removed. Mm, well, it, it, I guess it comes down to a philosophy: Are we about people turning up at motor racing events or are we about what we can put on TV? And obviously uh, teams save a bit of money if they don't have to go to Tassie, Perth and the like. Uh, obviously Winton is not as uh, as costly uh, for many of the teams as yeah, uh, the but other they don't, team. they don't tear up as much equipment at those racetracks you mentioned that they do at these street circuits. So uh, if you actually uh, calculate it all out as to what's costing what, uh, it might look a little different than just the fuel bill for the transporter. Mm. I, I think also that what you probably we should be aware of, if you're not, then uh, um, I'll mention it, is that when um, these teams go and do the event at Barbagallo and, and Darwin and Townsville, maybe not Townsville, but the, the other ones, permanent tracks, the ride days that occur the next day for their sponsors, you know, enormous number of rides. I mean, they've put hundreds of people through cars. Um, so it's, you know, the event is one thing and they get their clients to come along, their supporters and their sponsors, but then the days afterwards, you know, two days of, of ride days, you know, BJR and FPR and, you know, a do-over in Perth, um, it, it's quite staggering the, the way in which the, uh, the teams do that and that's all to try and maintain a healthy budget. Mm. And obviously it's other opportunities for people, say, like Marcus Ambrose to do an extra couple of hundred laps in a day. We need to uh, finish up our discussion here. We're talking about one man who's done a fair few Ks over the last week, and that is Mark Winterbottom. Over to Brazil to the stock cars, and uh, this time a second-place finish, uh, a very healthy result, Stefan. Yeah, it's um, it's good to see him going over and 
doing something different. And likewise, it's actually good to see that that series um, hold a race like that. It kind of gives us more of an appreciation of what the Gold Coast 600 used to do, at least for the international motorsport fans' recognition of V8 supercars, because I wouldn't have much reason to go scanning through the Brazilian stock car results sheets and, and so on if uh, they drive a race. And they certainly had some high-quality blokes in there. There was like seven XF1 drivers and guys like Laurent Vansor and, and people like that who were um, at the very top level of their game in GTs or, or whatever else. So... Um, Great to see Mark not only amongst that, but um, very competitive as well. Mm, and of course, uh, Tony, the uh, current champion in that series is a Brazilian driver. Some would say a little-known Brazilian driver called uh, Rubens Barrichello. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I actually didn't see his name mentioned too often in reading things. I saw his photo there, or I saw him in, in a video clip or something or other. I thought, hang on, you know, Maxi Wilson wasn't exactly starring either. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, I think that probably the greatest benefit from that weekend for uh, Mark Winterbottom will be at Simmons Plains and beyond in that um, it just helps him get greater estimation because, uh, you know, you know the, the haters out there and they're not just for Mark Winterbottom, for Jamie Wincup and for so many of these drivers that for no reason whatsoever, they are just haters. And, you know, they just talk about, you know, people who whinge a lot or, you know, just... And it's just awful, you know. I mean, I really feel sorry for some of these drivers who for no reason whatsoever these people throw this rubbish out there. And yet Mark Winterbottom showed that he was as good as anyone in the world going over and competing against all these guys. And I think that'll do him an enormous amount of good. And, of course, left-hand drive too, so it wasn't as if it was... Absolutely, it wasn't his forte at all. Mm. Look, a break and a final thought right after this here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought, Tony Whitlock. Well, I think that um, the series is in pretty good shape. Um, you know, there's lots of talk about uh, one, two, or maybe even three new cars coming back to the pack next year. Um, <laughs> the series, again, is in a transition stage. I mean, it's a, a calendar that seems to have great concerns and race um, lengths and things like that. But overall, the series is in pretty good shape and that the fact that, um, you know, there's movement around drivers, you know, with Van Gisbergen and, you know, Holdsworth going. I, look, I think it's in it's pretty good shape. Mm, what about you, Stefan Bartholomew? Well, I guess um, final thought, just to build on what, uh, what Tony was saying before about uh, haters and so on, um, I think a lot of people in, in fan world and, and media and, and everybody else just need to be patient and give Marcus and Marcus Ambrose and DJR Team Penske some time to to move their program forward in the way that they see fit. Um, I'm sure that when he is talking about it, 
openly that um, that Marcus will admit that some of the decision has been because of the pressure and the media hype and you know Fiat Supercars putting all of all of the promotion around of events around Marcus Amber is returning and he's just not at that level yet. It's it's a very hard championship. And if he had come in, if Penske had come in and just immediately dominated, well, it wouldn't say much for, for the competitiveness of the show. So um, I think, uh, yeah, everyone just needs to give it time and uh, and also let Scott Pye get in and do the job that we know he's capable of. Mm. Well, my final thought, guys, is uh, the passing of a man who was a motorsport fan. He, in fact, whilst the Prime Minister of Australia was actively trying to help get a, a international standard circuit in Canberra, unfortunately, after he left office, the money then got put into an international circuit at Sandown, which hosted at least one World Endurance Car Championship and then not much else, and the money was lost, and we didn't see high-level motorsport in Canberra again until the uh, highly successful GMC 400 <laughs> years later. But, uh, yeah, the, I don't think it's been recognised amongst uh, all his other interests that uh, former Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser was a uh, motor racing fan, and uh, it is sad to uh, see the loss of, uh, well, uh, see his passing and that... He was a Lancia man, wasn't he? He, he certainly had a lot of interest in, in very... Like, he had a, quite a broad amount of interest, but uh, uh, not many people have spoken about his love of motorsport. Yeah. That's well, a... I, I think uh, it's amazing how both uh, Goff and uh, Malcolm, from that turbulent era in the 70s, of which I voted my life uh, away at various times, um, that how both men, uh, you know, transgressed their own parties they belonged to. There were people who actually later on moved from Liberal to become golf lovers, and there were Labor people who came to love Malcolm. Um, it was quite extraordinary how both of them, and, and it was because of their beliefs that they actually changed, people changed allegiances, and they changed allegiances. Mm. Yes, it's certainly uh, an interesting time for Australia and, uh, and, well, interesting times ahead, we hope, for both motorsport and politics. But I digress. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks very much to Stefan Bartholomeus and to Tony Whitlock. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.